I was so grateful to have Lauren Amon on the podcast. Her practice is called Performance Reimagined. And Lauren mentioned something that she tells the athletes she's working with right now. And it's like, if you have a negative thought, like that was my worst swim. Well, think about, or that wasn't a good performance for today. Think about what the complete opposite of what you're telling yourself might be. And this can be in any parts of our life. If you have a negative thought, tell yourself the complete opposite of what you're thinking, and then use that as a building block. We spoke about her D1 swimming career, the inner opponent, and what she's doing now with Performance Reimagined. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, I'm Jordan Harding. I grew up watching my dad put on that suit and tie every morning and go out to successfully climb the corporate ladder. I thought I wanted to be him, but I was wrong. I needed to be me. To do that, I had conversations with incredible people to learn how they figured out this whole thing called life. I learned how they overcome adversity and pick themselves up when they've been knocked down. Now, I'm sharing those discussions with you so you can apply those same learnings to your life. Welcome to It's Not a Straight Line. So I'm super excited to have Lauren Amon on the podcast. Lauren, your athletic career, it started all the way at the age of five when I hear you swim your first race. Uh, you went on to become a high school champion. You were top three finish in the Mid-American Conference, if I have it right. You're captain mm -hmm. of the women's swim team at Eastern Michigan from 2003 to 2004. You then went to work in human resources. And in 2019, you got your professional coaching certification from IPEC, the Institute of Professional Excellence in Coaching. You founded your own practice called Performance Reimagine, and you work with current and former athletes of all ages and levels to help them uh, master the mind part of the game and perform at the highest level, no matter you know what the competition is. You know, so thank you, Lauren, for taking the time to be on. It's not a straight line. Oh, thanks, Jordan. I'm I'm so excited to be here. I there's something in me that tells me it's gonna be a great conversation. <laughs> you know, that's because you heard before this that I'm a Bills fan and you're a Bengals fan. You know, yes. And you you guys had to do that in the snow to the Bills last year, really. Well, you know the the first remember the Monday night game that that was a tough game, right? I mean, that was gonna. Game. That was going to be a great game, but event, you know, it, it turned into something tough. Thankfully, it had a phenomenal outcome. And then, of course, the divisional game that did not go so well for the Bills. <laughs> That's right. And thank goodness that outcome was 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 okay yes. after. Uh, Lauren, let's start with your swimming career. You know, I, at the age of five, you're kind of thrown in the pool. I think your sisters were around swim meets, if I had it right. Yep. What was it like? growing up as an athlete that eventually became a high school champion and then went on to swim at the D1 level in the, the U.S. Yeah, it was, and, and I, this is no exaggeration. It was one of the best times of my life. I look back on those years with so much joy and appreciation for everything that I experienced, the ups, the downs, the twists, the turns, and really, it's more about the relationships that I created. I'm still in touch with a lot of people. And it just, even looking back on it and being able to connect the dots, it brings almost even more joy than when I was in it, simply because of what I realized, what I learned, and who I became as a part of that process. Were you always in love with the sport of swimming? 
Or do you remember like when you were like, hey, I think I can become good enough at this to get a scholarship at this? What I remember is always being in love with it. And Mm. this is something that I say, and I, I don't necessarily mean to sound like an ass, but I swam for a very competitive, very elite level team. And there was no question in my mind that I was going to swim in college. It it Mm. was just, um, you know, I I don't know the percentage of the people who went on to swim in college from the team that I swam with, but I want to say it was very high. It was in the high eighties, maybe even 90% of people who went on to swim, whether it was D1, D3, D2, didn't matter. Most of us went to go swim on in college. And so it was almost just a given. I never questioned it. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, that's the next step. And again, looking back, I, I, I look back and I'm like, holy crap. Like that is something that is like super impressive. But at the time I was just like, oh yeah, that's life. This is what we're going to do. This is how we do it. And again, that's why I'm so appreciative of the opportunities and, and the environment that my parents found for us, that we could thrive in something like that and have the mindset that, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Did any of your sisters or siblings uh, become become athletes at the college level as well? Or were you kind of the, the standout in terms of that s- skill level, maybe? Oh, no. My sister swam for D1 college. There you go. Um, yeah. And, and again, it was, you know, my sisters are seven, six and a half and five years older than I am. So, you know, again, it was always just the kind of like, oh, yeah, they did it. I'll do it. Like, this is just how this is going to be. And again, I don't mean to sound like an ass because I know how, like, how much work and everything that needs to go into that. But the mindset was, this is what I want. And this is the dream that's going to come true. And so, so you were visioning that at a young age, did you know, like you had had the body or the the physical side of you to be at that, that level, or were you really good at just putting in the work every, every day in that routine? A little bit of both. Yeah, I think so I, I do have this internal drive and this internal motivation that even my mom and dad would talk about, even my husband at this point talks about, he's like, how, how do you get up and do it every day? I'm like, I, I don't know. It's just like a part, it like, it physically has to be done for me. Um, but I always joke too, like, I, I can't throw a ball. I can't catch a ball. I can't hit a ball. I can't kick a ball. Like there is no part of me that has any hand-eye coordination so I think it was one of those kismet moments where my parents just happened to find swimming as the sport. And that was the sport that was like, oh yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. Had they tried out anything else, I would not have done it for 17 years. <laughs> that I know for sure. <laughs> and, and you know, you work with uh, athletes, current and, and former, like on, on mindset, and you talk about training your mind, like you train your body. How were you with, with mindset and training your mind as you were an athlete? This was my biggest Achilles heel, heel, Mm. right? So I had the physical side. It was always about the routine. It was always about showing up. It was always about, you know, putting in as much as I possibly could. And that's great until it isn't until it translated to the mindset of, oh my gosh, everything has to be perfect. Every time I get up on the block, I have to swim my best time. The outcome has to be nothing less than perfection. And that was the part of the equation that, as I like to talk about it with athletes, like swung the pendulum 
too far and put so much emphasis on the outcome, creating so much internal pressure of it has to be exactly the way that I see it in my mind. And if it isn't, then I'm a failure. I'm not as good as I thought I was, right? It was like, then what's the point of putting in all of this physical work if I'm not going to get the result that I want? And I won't say that it was like that all the time. I did have some great moments where I was able to, you know, leave all that behind and not have expectations. But for the most part, my mindset was my Achilles heel. And that's what I really struggled with most. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, as I date myself and what my prime is, we didn't really talk about that much. So there mm-hmm. wasn't... yeah. There wasn't like, hey, go try this, go do this, go look at this a different way. It was just kind of like, put your head down, get it over it, suck it up and move on. Yeah, I can't even imagine coaches had that in their mind at that time, you know, where whereas they would have it in their mind now. Right. Yeah. So, and again, that's no slam on my coaches, right? It just no. was part of how life was. <laughs> I got to just comment, Lauren's wearing an Ohio hoodie for no one because normally I put these out audio only and you got this great sign consistency is what transforms average into excellence I really Mm -hmm. like that thank you so what was it like Lauren like you know it's not a straight line did you have this vision that you know what I might one day go to the Olympics or were you planning on on your transition from you know NCAA D1 to a a non-athletic career after that Yeah. In my mind, when I go back and say, Hey, college was always kind of swimming in college was always kind of the dream. Realistically, I knew my, my physical talent wasn't Olympic level. Um, And so there was always in the mind that, Hey, once college is finished, it's my time to transition into the non-athletic world. That was, that was my path. I mean, every swimmer dreams of going to the Olympics of anybody who knows anything about USA swimming, it's an extremely competitive environment. And um, so I knew that wasn't part of the equation. I knew that D1 college level was, you know, where I was going to end my career. You know, when we talk about it's not a straight line, this was probably the biggest deviation in my path at that moment is I went to college and my undergrad is in political science. And I had every notion of going to law school after my swimming career when I graduated from Eastern Michigan. And once I graduated, I took the LSAT. And when I received the results, the results were not anywhere near good enough getting into even the bottom tier law schools here in the US. And that was the first like, oh crap moment. What am I going to do? Because the plan I had set in motion, or at least I had in my head, oh, it doesn't look like it's going to come to fruition. And so I was in that depressive state of, though at the time didn't know it, the depressive state of no longer having swimming in my life. And then now my path has, what at the time felt like came to an abrupt stop. And I had no idea how to process any of it emotionally. And I think also, did I read like your last swim, if you can take me back to that, you kind of must've known it was the last one. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think you're going back with some forth someone on LinkedIn. I saw what what was that like? What was that last time? Because I don't know what it's like to be an athlete that made it to NCAA level, and you're like, this is this might be the last time I swim competitively. Yeah. So it actually the very last race was probably a little bit more emotionally even keel than the 
first race of my last meet. So um, I swam distance. I was a distance swimmer. So we always had a a particular order of every single meet we swam. And so the first event that I swam my very last meet in college was the 500 free. And I was in, I don't know, heat eight or something. I don't know. And, you know, at heat one, things were great. No, no worries. Like as heats got closer to mine, I could feel the tears welling up. And that's when it hit me of, oh, holy crap, this is the last time I'm going to race the 500 free. And I was standing next to my assistant coach at the time. I remember him looking at me with this face of, oh, dear God, she's spiraling. How am I going to help her in this moment? And it was, he knew me well enough to be like, you've got to get yourself together enough to get through this race. And so, you know, I, I cleaned up my tears or I dried up my tears and I dove into the water and that's when it really hit me. And I did not have a great race. And it was as if like I was carrying around this emotional weighted vest of, oh my gosh, is this the last time? So by the time I got to my last race, which was the mile or the 1650 uh, yard freestyle, it was kind of, I had accepted it and embraced it again. It wasn't a great race, but of the three of that meet, it was probably the best because I had finally just resigned to this is the last time. And this is also something that isn't necessarily, it wasn't talked about at the time, right? So when you're an athlete, you're preparing for this quintessential moment, right? The last time you're ever going to do something, right? You're climbing up this mountain, you're done. You get to the apex of the mountain and there's no gradual decline. You just mm-hmm. fall right off because there's, you know, it's not like you can like swim again to, you know, to, to like get it out of your system. It's like the last time my hand touched that wall, it was like, wow, nearly two decades of my life just ended in the blank of an eye. It was rough. <laughs> it was very rough. So I get first, I think the, the listener might be wondering, so you, you swam freestyle, like what, what types of, of swimming were you doing? Were you doing all different types of strokes or were you mainly focused on, on freestyle? Yeah. So when I was uh, growing up and I was younger, uh, for anybody who's familiar with swimming, I was an IMer. I, I loved 200 IM. I loved 400 IM, which was all four strokes. Uh, in one race. And by the time I transitioned to college, my coach was like, Hey, you know, I I see you more in distance freestyle. I was also swimming distance freestyle. So I was an IM or in a distance freestyle. And, um, when I got to college, it was, Hey, you're going to be strictly freestyle. So literally for four years, I slammed the 500 free, the 200 free or the mile, uh, the mile and or a thousand. That's literally what I swam for four years. Didn't hate it. I mean, I, I loved it, but I, I missed I am when I got to college. <laughs> there you go. And so Lauren, you hit that wall for the last time. You're like, okay, now this is a transition in my life. You know, I'm sure a lot of feeling and emotion there. Mm-hmm. And you pursued a career in a corporate America. I've got quotes in the hands. You went into human resources and then you found coaching. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you explain that part of your career and finding coaching two people you talk to. Yeah. So yes, you're right. I, after I graduated, you know, my path stopped at law school. I went and got my master's in human resources and spent most of my, all of my career there really. And I, 
I don't know how to explain this other than by the time I got into corporate America, I knew something was off. Like I knew that I didn't necessarily fit there. I knew I didn't really want to be there. Um, but you know, this is the career path that my parents took and this is the career path my older sisters took. So like, duh, like everybody goes and gets this, you know, very stable job and, you know, that sort of thing. And long story short, you know, this went on for nearly like 12 years and it was just kind of gotten to the point of, I I just don't know that I can do this anymore. Right. This, this path doesn't feel like it's what it's supposed to be for me. And being in human resources, I was exposed to a lot of executive coaching, whether that was, you know, finding them for other leaders within the organization, bringing in people to train, whatever the case may be. And I thought to myself at the time, okay, maybe I can carve a different path for myself within corporate America to see kind of what that looks like. So I went into uh, IPEC, the, the, it's about a year, maybe nine months, a year long uh, training program. And by the time I was finished, it was that thought of, oh, wait a minute. This is, this was the path that makes the most sense to me. And this is why I want to start my own practice. And it was literally in that moment of, I finally felt it. I finally felt the thing that was like, oh, this feels so much like me. And so that's when I decided, yeah, I'm not carving my own path in corporate America. I'm doing my own thing. And isn't it interesting how like people do what you've done in terms of being like 12 years in, I'm not feeling it. I'm going to go transition to something else. Similarly, you know, you have spent 17 years with a swimming career and then you had to find that next chapter. But as people are in that moment before they make the transition, I find it very interesting of people being like, well, I have all this experience now and I need to stay on this trajectory. But for you, you just knew you're like, you know what, this is filling me up and I'm going to head head in this direction now. Mm-hmm. And part of that was driven by my swimming career. And by mm. that, I mean, I felt so at home in swimming. It was a passion of mine. For 17 years, I never got bored of it. I mean, sure, there were moments where I was like, ugh, you know, this is hard or ugh, I don't want to be around these people. But it was more of like, no, this is where I belong. And I, it was that same feeling of, oh, wait, as I'm learning about coaching, this feels more like me. It was like almost that I could, I could tie the the feeling of the two things together. That's when I knew of like, oh, I'm on to something here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm starting to feel that, that comfortable discomfort of it's somewhere I want to be. It's something I want to learn about. And it's something I want to get better at, just like I felt in swimming. So that was really kind of that connection point for me. That's incredible the way you way you describe that and the way you felt at home there. You know, so you you launched Performance Reimagined, and I know there's some steps in between there with your career. But what was that aha moment that I've heard about where you're watching the Olympics? I think it was in 2020 or 2021. Like, I just want you to want you to tell the the listener that story. Yeah. So I actually started my coaching practice really focused on leadership development, career transition, career development, because that's what I knew in human resources. And while I had success in that space for about 18 months, again, it just felt like, uh, it's completely it. And 
you know, for the longest time I had convinced myself, Hey, I, my swimming career was just that my swimming career. It, like mm-hmm. it's time to put that in the box. You know, even though I learned a ton, I still take from it. Like that's over here in this box. And then I was watching the 2020 Olympics and I remember because they were a year behind, I remember going into it thinking, gosh, I wonder what this is going to be like for the athletes, because it's a completely different environment, right? No spectators, right? The whole year ahead of that, it was, you know, chaos for all of us, right? Because of the pandemic. And shortly because gymnastics and swimming are are first in the round of, of sports that are televised, it was the night that Simone Biles had removed herself from competition. And because of the way that it was televised, we knew that going into that night's airtime. And so, you know, I watched on social media, you know, all the stories about it, people's comments about her removing herself from competition, but to actually see it and to watch her face on TV, it was like, yeah, she's going through something. And it just really, it was, you know, it was very poignant for me. Fast forward, swimming was televised right after that. And it was the night that Katie Ledecky was swimming the six, the 1500 meter free, the first time that women ever got to swim it in the Olympics. So she's the world record holder. Um, and while she won gold, it wasn't necessarily her greatest swim. She was about 20 mm-hmm. seconds off of her world record. And afterwards, as a spectator, you could see that emotion of like, hey, I just won gold. My name's going to go down in history. But that the, the performance wasn't there. And shortly thereafter, Michael Phelps came on and he's always been a big proponent of mental well-being among athletes. And he and Mike Tirico, for anybody who's familiar uh, you know, with USA Sports, he's a big name in, in telecasting. And they were sitting there talking about mental well-being, about Simone and those things. And he said something that will stick with me for the rest of my life. And it was competing is really overwhelming. We just want someone to talk to. We just want someone who listens, who allows us to be vulnerable and doesn't want to fix us. It's like, yes, that is it. It's, you know, that, that feeling of thinking you're alone and having no one just to like verbally and emotionally throw up on who has no agenda, who isn't trying to say, go do this, go do that. Who's literally just listening. And it was in that moment that I thought to myself, this is it. That is what I'm called to do, to take all the experience from my swimming career, everything I learned in my adult life of what works, what doesn't work, and then coaching, and then combine those two things to work with athletes to train their minds like they train their bodies. And so at that point, like, when did you start transitioning your business towards working with athletes? Like, how how did you start that process away from maybe the people you were coaching before? Uh, it was literally in that moment. <laughs> it so, was. It was just yeah. like I'm changing up. Yes, I'm changing because it was, it was that moment. It was that feeling again of just this feels exactly what I'm supposed to be doing again. It was almost amplified, right? Or when I said that coaching just felt right, it kind of tied to that connection with swimming. Having that aha moment of working with athletes just amplified that connection. And I, in that moment, it was all about okay. How do I position, reposition myself to be in the athletic world, which wasn't challenging because it's the world that I know. It's the world that I love. It's the world that just allows me the opportunity to feel most like me. And so in that moment, it was really crazy. I started working with 
a branding specialist and I had this vision of being a mindset or mental performance coach for team USA. Like that was the, that was the vision. And I started working with a brand specialist and lo and behold, like colors that we came out with were a variation of red, white, and blue, totally unintentionally. Um, And it just started snowballing into, Hey, when I started talking about being an athlete or being a former athlete, it's just the words flowed and they all made sense. And it was just that moment of, yeah, this is it. And I just, I just went all in full bore and literally started going back to my connections that were in swimming, you know, just started talking about sports and that's when it all just started coming together. And yet, you know, you talk a lot, Lauren, about the inner opponent, right. Or, uh, you know, I think of it, maybe it's a saboteur in coaching, mm-hmm. they call it. Yeah. Um, you know, was there ever a sense where you're like, yeah, I had my swimming career. I was a great athlete, but you know, I'm in HR and now I'm coaching or trying to coach a certain set of people. And now I'm going to go back and try and coach people that might, might be high school or might be college level. And, you know, that's a great idea, Lauren, but like, was there any pressure on the outside being like that? That's a good idea, but maybe, maybe you should stay on this other path or were you like, just like, no, I, I can do this. I mix of both in there a little <laughs> bit. Right. You know, that idea of, am I really qualified to do this? Right. That that's what my inner opponent really talks about. It's like, well, are you really qualified to talk to athletes? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> well, you were one. So <laughs> I know what I was one, right. And then, you know, we talk about what comes up is, well, is what I'm saying, does that make sense? Like, is it going to resonate with athletes? And like, who are you to like, kind of put yourself out there and to, you know, really put this out into the world? Because often what I talk about too, is breaking conventional wisdom, right? And and oftentimes in the sports world, to some degree, there still is that be mentally tough, never show emotion, never get vulnerable. You know, the greats never showed that they, you know, had bad days. And I'm thinking to myself, that literally cannot be true. Right. There was, there was a, there was an, an exchange on Instagram where, you know, people had some choice words about me, you know, going against some conventional wisdom. And they, the, the phrase was, you know, I've, I've watched Michael Jordan, Kevin Durant, all the greats, they've never once showed emotion or, you know, been anything but great. So there's no way that they ever had bad days. And I thought, that's not, that literally cannot be true, right? There's no athlete on this planet at any level that hasn't had that inner opponent of, wait a minute, are you good enough? Are you strong enough? Are you the one to really go do this? So when I go out there, that's really what my inner opponent is. It's like, wait, wait a minute. Are you really in a position to con- combat conventional wisdom? And that's what I deal with every day, quite honestly. Well, and as you said that about those athletes and, and you're talking about how they never had a bad day, the first thing that crossed my mind was like, well, that's bullshit. Like, that's bullshit. That's probably just what they wanted to see, right? That was their worldview. And I love this. I don't know where you have it posted, but you're like, my niche is busting conventional wisdom. I think that's so powerful. Yeah. And it's actually something that that was on LinkedIn actually last week. And it was something I was talking to a dear friend of mine who I went 
through coaching with. And I will say that those who I went through the coaching program with, right, know me on a level that maybe not a, not a lot of other people do simply because of the vulnerability we all exchanged with one another. And she was asking me something and those words just came out of my mouth. And I thought, holy crap, that's it, right? That That's the, and because that's what I'm doing in the sports world is, you know, allowing athletes to be vulnerable, to open up, to verbally yes. and emotionally unleash in a very safe space that comes with absolutely no judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a lot of clients, particularly because they're at the younger age. Well, what would you do? And I say to them, what, what makes it so important for you to know what I would do? And mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a judgment way. It's more of like, this is your path. This is your space. I'm not here to tell you to go do X, Y, and Z. My job is to create awareness of what you're going through, challenge maybe some of the beliefs you hold for yourself that are actually holding you back. And then together, you know, I create that awareness. You find a path that really works for you. And that's what I mean by busting conventional wisdom. I'm not here as a mental coach to tell you what to do. I'm here to open up a space that allows you the opportunity to find what it is best for you to do. How do you think the whole perception around mental health and the mind is changing in sport? I mean, we're speaking about it, but you're seeing a groundswell, right? Like I watched the Marty Fish documentary. I love that. I know somebody who used to work with no Marty Fish. Uh, You know, you saw Kevin Love come out, DeMar DeRozan, Michael Phelps. When when I was, you know, uh, preparing for this, I was listening to some of the things he said. And I think one of his quotes is, People think you can just wind us up like we're a toy and we just go. And it's just like so crazy that people think that these athletes are going to perform at this level every single time. And I don't know where that came from, like of of spectators just being like thinking that or thinking they're not human or we're all not human. Like, like, how do you think as someone in this space, where's, where's the groundswell going with this? I think it's just only going to continue to increase. Um, but I but I also think there's going to be that push and pull of conventional wisdom mm. of the, you know, just suck it up, put your head down and move forward. I, I think some of that like superhuman expectation comes because elite athletes have that thing that we all want, right? Is that, Mm -hmm. is that physicality that just like power. And what I think we've all convinced of ourselves that, well, if they have that, then certainly they have this uh, unpenetrable mindset that no one can get in, which isn't true, right? Even, I mean, look at Michael Phelps. I mean, the, the like quintessentials, I mean, he will go down as like the most memorable winningest swimmer ever. But what's so great about him is the vulnerability of, yes, I can do this physically, but Hey, sometimes a lot of times my mind wasn't there. I had to do so many other different things in order to get my body to get where it got. And so I think you're going to continue to see that groundswell move and and increase, but I think you're also going to see this push and pull of conventional Mm -hmm. wisdom to, to almost continue that, that expectation. Well, if you're, if you're here physically, well, then you're here mentally. And, and those two things have to go together. Um, 
because it busts a lot of conventional wisdom that, you know, you don't always have to be quote unquote mentally tough in order to be physically tough, right? Now, while your mind and body are intricately connected, you know, they're also not mutually exclusive. You know, it's like they're, they're connected, but you know, they, they, they can operate separately from one another, but at the end of the day, they do go hand in hand. And in order to truly see optimal performance, the mind has to be taken care of just as much as the body, if not more. So Lauren, as you, you know, I, as I was preparing, you know, you're on, you're on LinkedIn, you're doing some things on TikTok, you're on Instagram, you're on these podcasts, you're coaching athletes, current and former, you know, I think you said, was it your husband that said, how do you, how do you do this every day? Or how do you bring the energy every day? Let's talk about your routines a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you keep, and you have kids at home. Yeah. So what are some things that are important to you to keep yourself um, at a, at a strong mental level and to keep your performance with what you're building with your practice moving forward. Like, is there anything you can share? Yeah, absolutely. I still continue to work out and, um, I I tend to work out at a very intense level. Um, morning or evening, or does it change? No morning. I I am definitely a morning workout person. If it gets to the evening, I'll talk myself out of it for sure. Um, so for the longest time, I had some guilt in terms of how intense I would go. There was a lot of people telling me, we don't have to have intense workouts every single day in order to get something from it. And what tended to go through my mind was, this is how I grew up. This is is what I'm used to. And so for in my adult life, it would be like, oh, well, maybe I don't have to go as hard today. But for me, what I've actually recognized is that because I, I tend to have so much natural energy, I do need the intense workouts to create a balance for me. It's like, it helps balance me out. And so I've come, come to the conclusion, Hey, not every day is going to be perfect, nor am I going to perform to the top of my ability. But if I get enough of this energy out, that's what helps balance out the rest of the day. So for me, first and foremost, a very intense morning routine. Um, Nutrition has still tended to be a very, uh, it's a big pillar in my life. And as an adult, what I've also recognized is there are certain foods out there that don't work well for me. As a swimmer, it was just like, Mm. give me everything I can have. Just give give me everything. Um, But now I recognize from a mental point of view, which foods make me foggy, which foods help me, you know? So I'm very cognizant uh, to keep that as a pillar. And then the third one for me, because I have so much energy, uh, I tend to say yes to everything. And so I was like, yeah, I got the energy that, yeah, I got the energy that, yeah, I got the energy to that. And I'm very much a people pleaser. That's also part of my inner opponent. Um, so for me, part of the routine is learning how to say no and honoring what it is I really want to do versus what I think everyone else wants me to do or what I think people want me to do. Right. Um, and so those are my three pillars, get an intense workout, take care of my body nutritionally and compassionately say no to the things that I have no interest in doing that would use my energy against what I really want to do. A hundred percent. And what about, so the working out, it, do you do it like every day? Are you like a five or six day a week person or how does that, no. how does that kind of go down? I tend to do it every day. 
Yeah. Um, there may be a week here or there where it is five or six, but it it 90% of the time, it's seven days a week. That's amazing. You know, I just, I'm so curious about that. And I think other people are because from a mental health standpoint, myself, working out has been the thing that has totally mm-hmm. changed, changed my life in that respect. So Lauren, performance reimagined, what can you tell us about it? If, if anyone out there is listening and they have a, a child that's an athlete and, or it's, it's an athlete that's listening to this, how do you work with them and what are the types of people you like to work with? Yes. So right now we're really focused on one-on-one and that was very mm-hmm. intentional uh, to really bring athletes into the community and to show that we are very intentional about personalized plans that, you know, this is not a one size fit all that you come through this very traditional program and every athlete sees the same thing. We may talk about the same concepts, but the way that we practice it is very different per athlete. So that was very intentional on our part to show that it can be done, but also to gather some quote unquote market research of what's going on within athletes right now. You know, how, what's similar Uh, to what I experienced 20, 25 years ago and what's different. And then being able to push and pull and meet each athlete where they are. Uh, My sweet spot of athletes are those who want to take their talents to college, potentially even beyond. Uh, They tend to be very type A uh, perfectionist overachievers who believe that, and this is going to sound maybe terrible, believe nothing is ever good enough. Uh, so there's a very um, deep connection point uh, for the, for those kinds of athletes. Uh, they know they're very talented and they want to get everything they can out of life, but they're stuck because of the perfectionist, the overachiever, and they can't quite get past that mental plateau that they've created for themselves. Didn't you say that one time, like with your own career, it's interesting. You, you, I think you said, if I, if I could have got rid of some of the things I was thinking of, and this relates to more than just swimming or sport, mm-hmm. but what, what, what was that thought when you were an athlete and being like, if I put some of these mind things out or that perfectionist tendency or that pressure, I would have swam a much better race, or I would have done much better in my job that day. Yeah, that that's exactly it. I can remember two very specific races where I just let everything go. There was no expectation. There was, it didn't matter what happened. I was just having fun. And those were the races where I became a high school state champion and I placed third in the mid-American conference. Amazing. So that's what I work with athletes is to say that, you know, all of that internal pressure that you put on yourself to be the best you possibly can in some ways is swinging the pendulum too far and working against you. So how do we find the balance between those two things of honoring your inner motivation, honoring that inner drive and competitiveness, but removing the pressure to be something very specific of what your mind is telling you, you should be. That's amazing. And and so Lauren, how can people, if people are listening, they want to follow you or they're interested in getting in touch about, about your coaching with performance reimagined, how can people find you? Yeah. So performancereimagined.com is the website. Uh, and then Instagram at performance underscore reimagined underscore. Um, and we're working on some very cool things behind the scenes uh, that will be launched later this year about um, really building a team and community of athletes 
where they can come and feel safe, honored, and in the same space that they're not going through this alone. That's great. So we'll put that in the show notes. Lauren, what about, I, I noticed you had some mindset hacks that are on your TikTok. Um, you know, I've noticed some other things about inner opponent. What's one thing you'd like to leave uh, leave anyone listening to this with? Like what's something you've been thinking of or been speaking to your clients about? Yeah. So a lot of my clients are dealing with the inner opponent. I think every human on this planet deals with the inner opponent. So one of the, the first steps that we take to really kind of break the cycle of negativity, I don't believe that we can completely stop negative thoughts. It's a part of our human wiring because it's a part of our survival mechanism, like to sense a little danger and to have a little bit of caution. Um, so one of the first things that we work on with athletes to, to start breaking the cycle is the minute that you have a negative thought or you catch yourself having that negative thought, what is the exact opposite, more positive thought? So for instance, the idea of, Ugh, I sucked today. That was absolutely terrible. Okay. That's a negative thought. What's the exact opposite of that? I played really well. I put a lot of hard work into this today. And again, it's just, even if you don't fully believe that more positive thought in that moment, it's getting in the habit of breaking the negative cycle because we tend as a species to, in some ways, love misery and we'll mm -hmm. misery stack yeah. of like, yeah. I suck today. I didn't play well. I didn't do this. Had I just done this? Had I did? And we, we spiral out of control in some ways because our mind wants to be validated. And so if it believes it sucked or you suck today, it'll find all the reasons why. So breaking that pattern, the minute that you hear it inside your head stops and it puts almost like a, a little break on some of the emotions that will come with those kinds of thoughts. So that's one of the first things that we work on pretty simply that the moment that you recognize it, think the exact opposite thought, and then we build off of that. That's cool. I'm going to, I'm going to try that too. The other thing you said that I thought was powerful is your performance matters, but you remember what you said, but it doesn't define you. It doesn't define you. Yes. It doesn't define you. When you, you said something before Jordan, that really hit me as, as like our paths are not linear, right? That's, well, that's what I talk about a lot with athletes too, is that performance isn't linear, right? Just because you achieve something today, while you, you while your body has shown that it is capable of achieving, achieving the same thing the next day, doesn't mean it will. And one of the examples that I give is when you're lifting, right? So let's say you, you, um, you know, move from 25 pounds to 30 pounds in, I don't know, chest press. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Your body actually needs time to recover from that, right? You, you've, you've taken your muscles to a brand new level. Physically, you've, you've created some mini tears in those muscles so that with rest and recovery, once they repair, you become stronger, right? So that's what we kind of work on with athletes is that your performance isn't linear. So what happens today doesn't make you who you are. It, it helps you understand that you are on a path and you are growing stronger. You are getting fitter. You are becoming more powerful mentally, physically, emotionally. And so each performance is more of like a data point versus this is exactly who you are in this moment, Jordan or Lauren or Sarah or whomever you may be. It's that it allows you the opportunity to show to see where you are in your path versus saying, this is exactly who you are in this moment. Oh, that's so powerful. So powerful. 
Lauren, I want to end with these three zigzag questions because it's not a straight line. What still gets you up every morning? Like what drives you every time you're getting out of your bed? Quite honestly, it's to bust conventional wisdom and support athletes and knowing that, you know, some of the things that all athletes have been conditioned to believe will make them the most successful actually might work against them. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Is there something you'd tell yourself if you thought back to that last race you had where you're going to transition from athletic life to non-athletic life? What would you tell yourself going back then? This isn't the end. Mm. This isn't the last time that you are going to be a part of this world and be able to make a difference in it. That's that's powerful. And and the last one, is there a particular learning you've had from your life, Laura, and where you keep it top of mind and you remember? Yeah. Um, and it's one that I tell myself every day. It's always about you and it's never about you. And by that, I mean, your response and your reaction has everything to do with you. Someone else's doesn't. And what that allows me to do is to take myself out of the situation and to be able to look at things more objectively versus through my own lens of judgment for another person or all the emotions that come up from it. It's that I, I allow myself not only to have grace for me, but to have grace for the other person. Cause that was one of the things I really struggled with growing up was I carried so much self-judgment that I tended to put it on other people just to almost lighten my own load, even though at the time Mm. I didn't know that. Um, so it's something that I tell myself of when I'm having a truly emotional reaction, I start to feel the judgment of like, whoa, 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 whoa. It has everything to do with you and nothing to do with you. That's perfect. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being on. It's not a straight line and to all the listeners, listeners out there, let's remember some of these things and let's remember what's on the sign behind you. Consistency is what transforms average into excellent. So grateful, Lauren. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks, Jordan. What did you take away from our chat today? I'd love to know. Let me know on Instagram at it's not a straight line or connect with me on LinkedIn. If this episode was helpful, would you mind leaving me a review on whatever podcast app you use? I'd really appreciate it. You can always go back to previous episodes to hear more insightful conversations to help you build your own unique life. Thanks for listening to It's Not a Straight Line. Until next time.